Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Lynn Hightower, author of the new novel, The Enlightenment Project. Novelist Lee Child said about Lynn, Lynn Hightower is a brave, bold writer, and the spooky, suspenseful masterpiece could be her best yet. Super recommended. Lynn, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Sure. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your new novel, Mm -hmm. The Enlightenment Project, how would you describe the novel? Well, you know, it's, um, I'm a thriller writer, so I write about things that scare me. And so this is a scary book, uh, but it's also a very spiritual book. And um, it's about Noah Archer, who is a neurosurgeon who is possessed as a child so, uh, have you ever known anybody who was possessed? Um, I have not. Well, at least you don't think you have. But anyway, he <laughs> was. <laughs> and it's his deep, dark secret because he's very ashamed of it. He's very, uh, he didn't understand why it happened to him. And he became a neurosurgeon because he was studying the brain, trying to figure out what happened to him. And the upshot is that he comes up with the Enlightenment Project in order to stimulate the neurons in people's brains and help them deal with addictions and chronic depression, and also to study people who have been or are possessed and see if he can help them. But what happens is that his creation of enlightenment on demand helps a lot of his patients, but it also opens the door to the dark side, and a lot of his patients get into very deep trouble. Mm. Well, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write The Enlightenment Project? Yeah, there were two. The first was, you know, I saw The Exorcist and read the book like most of us, and I found it absolutely terrifying. It just sort of hits you on a visceral level, and it makes you wonder, I mean, could it really happen? And so I started doing research, and, you know, I was shocked at the things that have happened since that book came out. I mean... The number of people that feel they're possessed or oppressed or that maybe there is uh, something in their home uh, that's very dark because 80% of what exorcist priests deal with are infestations, which are really hauntings. And um, the number of, of, of exorcism priests has quadrupled, like I said. Um, 50% of the people in the U.S. believe in possession, which really surprised me. Um, it's now a recognized psychiatric condition. Um, probably 500,000 people a year will undergo uh, exorcisms in um, Italy. It just, it's like, it's rampant. It's everywhere. And so I absolutely had to write about it. Wow. I had no idea it was that prevalent. I didn't either. Still, I started doing the research. I had been researching neurologists. And so many of them advise their patients to meditate. And, um, and then uh, several of them said, you know, just be careful because there's always the light side, but there's always the dark side. And, and so they were speculating on that. I'm like, well, I'm going to be speculating right along with you because I'm always looking under the rock to see what dark things could happen as well. Well, what was your initial writing journey that led you to writing and getting your first novel published? Oh, you know, I started my first novel in the fifth grade because it was, it was, well, it was better to be writing in class than listening to geography lectures and doing math. 
<laughs> and um, to tell you the truth, I read really fast and I read every word and I read a lot. And I would always run out of books. And I finally decided in the fifth grade, all right, I'm going to write one. And uh, when I was 16, I went to the University of Kentucky and I was just storming the campus looking for every writing class they had. And Wendell Berry was teaching there, the great poet and essayist and novelist. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so I started out by taking his class. And, um, you know, I went up to his office. You had to have his permission. And I gave him, I would give him my, you know, my schedule card. And he looked at it and he said, well, you've got two other writing classes and my class is very intense. Why don't you wait until next semester? And I said, I said this to Wendell Berry, writing is what I do. So, you know, I'm horribly <laughs> embarrassed to remember that. <laughs> I'm all of 16 telling Wendell Berry, writing is what I do. But he just busted bust out laughing. And checked off the card and said, okay, see you soon. <laughs> and so how was the class? It was awesome. I teach, uh, I teach writing at UCLA Extension. And I also work with um, writers as, you know, as private consultations. And everything I teach and everything I do is pretty much modeled on his classes and how he talked. He was so pragmatic and so specific. You know, I had come out of classes where they would light a candle and try to inspire you. And, he was, and that's not his job. No way. He's very specific. You know, he would he would tell you how to structure a scene, how to create a visual, being specific in your details, um, how to write honestly and straight from the heart. And, you know, it was kind of scary because if you didn't reach a certain level, he would come and tap you on the shoulder and, and tell you quietly that you were going to slunk. And that you should drop the class this last week. So we were all kind of terrified when he walked around the room. Wow. <laughs> when he told me it was intense and that you had to reach a certain level, he wasn't kidding. But he was also very kind and very encouraging. And he was my mentor. And he's always been very good to me. That's great. Well, what was your writing process when you were working on the Enlightenment Project? Are you a writer who writes from a strict outline. And I'm curious, given the the fact that you've written a lot of novels, is the mm -hmm. writing process the same for you from novel to novel, or does it ever change? That's really interesting. You know, every novel seems to have a different process, okay? I'll have mm -hmm. one that comes fast and one that's hard. I I have come to feeling very strongly now that my stories are entities, they're real, and they're in a fog all around me, and I'm pulling out the threads. But even though the process is different, I've still got like my novelist toolbox where I can pretty much navigate anything that happens. And one thing I want to say is that, you know, a lot of people try to divide novelists into one camp or the other. You're a planner, you're a mm -hmm. painter, you cannot be both. And the truth is that all novelists are both. And I tend to plan and write and write and plan. And instead of boxing myself into, I must have every scene planned before I write, or into, oh, I'm just going to write a few hundred pages and see where it goes. Neither one of those work for me, okay? I need to know where the story is going. But usually I'm so excited at the beginning that I'll have words in my head. And as we all know, that is a gift. We do not ignore that. So I'll just sit down and write it. You know, so I go back and forth. I plan, I write, I write, I plan. I will tell you that if you 
I don't believe in writer's block, but if you're feeling stuck, it's going to be one of two things. One, you you need to know more about your story and you're stuck because you don't know where to go. So do some plan work. Or two, you're you um you know you're being a perfectionist. Give yourself every day. I give myself permission to write bad fiction because that I can do. I could write bad fiction every <laughs> single day of the week, and so then I don't get all snarled up like, "Oh, is this going to be brilliant?" And I'm like, "No, it's not." So just get it down. That's how I work. <laughs> well, well, when you're doing the private consultation that you mentioned with with uh, writers and novelists, yeah. um, do you ever? Do you ever give them that advice that you need to plan more and you need to figure out where this is going? Yes, yes, because I'll say, um, you know, you're, where are you going with it? If you've got words in your head and you can get scenes down, go right ahead, but be thinking about where you're going. And remember, I think it's really essential to know that novels are written in layers. You're not going to know the whole story. You're not going to know everything about your character. And if you just accept that and go, okay, well, I don't know everything about my story, but I know this, 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 and this, okay? And then you put it down. I mean, you get it on the page so you have it to hand. And then when you plan again, you're going to put in another layer. Oh, and it also goes here, and it also goes there. And, and um, I, I often tell my writers to write a legend. And what I mean by the legend is, if it, there's a murder plot, if there's a paranormal element, if there's a thing, the backstory that uh, really has a lot of, um, you know, layering into the in-the-moment story, write it down in what I call the legend of, and just write stream of consciousness. Don't try it. It's, you're not selling this, you know, you're not handing this to an agent. It's just for you and for me. Write down everything that comes to mind, okay? And then you'll have it to hand, and then you can add to it as you write. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That's great advice. Well, you said earlier that sometimes the novels come come easy and sometimes they come hard. When, right. when they are coming hard, do you well, ever get stressed or nervous? or And how do you deal with that? I used to. And what I would do is throw myself in the floor and sob. And um, <laughs> I occasionally still do that, but not near as often because... Um, because now I know that I know how to find my way through it. And there are good days and bad days. And some days, you know, I'll write and I'll think, oh, this is, this is just awful. And then another day I'll think, oh my gosh, I'm brilliant. 
a week later, I'll back and look, and I'm like, I wonder which one was which. Because, <laughs> 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 you know, we're all writing in real life, and if we're upset about something, it kind of affects how we feel about our work. So I think the advantage of having written a lot of novels, and I, and I like to share this with my novelists that I work with, is you've got a process, you're going to be okay, and it's normal to feel like this. So that takes about 50% of the upset out. So, so you've just got half left. So that's pretty good. <laughs> so are you working on a new novel now? Oh, my gosh, I am. I, I'm in the um, first draft love affair stage where I think it's just so fabulous and so brilliant. And I'm having fun with it because, um, I've you know, I've had plenty of times where, you know, writing was like, Hard to get to. Everything was busy. and But now I've come to a point where writing is the best part of my day. And I get up in the morning early, like 5 a.m. And I write my first drafts by hand. And I often wake up with words in my head. And it's just thrilling to get that down and get it on the page and get it done first for the day. That's great. Yeah. Well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories and novels? Oh, I've got so much writing advice to give people. <laughs> Number one, um, tell us the story that you wish someone would tell you. If you were going into a bookstore and looking for a book, what would be your dream novel? That's the one you should write. That's great. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, here's another one. This is so helpful. Two. I've got two for you, okay? <laughs> okay. It seems so obvious. Here's the thing. It takes me years to figure this stuff out. And then I can tell people in five minutes so they don't have to spend years <laughs> figuring it out because it's not rocket science, okay? So one is the test scene, okay? You know, you, you don't know which way and where you're going to go with the scene and you think you should do this and you think you should do that or you think you should be writing. Should it be first person? Should it be third person? Which is right? Which gets published more? No, 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 no. And then you go on the internet and you just Google and you find 5,000 opinions and you just want to throw yourself off the roof. So instead, just spend an afternoon writing the scene both ways. This is one way I think it should go. This is another way I think it should go. Or this is the same scene in first person. This is the same scene in third person. And once you do that, 99 times out of 100, it's, it's going to be obvious to you, oh, yeah, I should totally do this. I should totally go in this direction. Uh, and then you don't have to roam around the internet. You've got the scene written. And I mean, you understand your story in a little more depth. That's great. Well, what novels have you read recently that you enjoyed? Oh, my goodness. Oh, it's so hard to single them out. Let's see. Well, you know what? Um, let's see. What's... I'm trying to think, you know, off the top of my head of just novels that I love. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And I love um, In Pale Battalions by Robert Goddard. I love um, Cold Heaven by Brian Moore, which is one of the most brilliant thrillers. was one of the best openings I've ever read. It's an old novel, and he's a literary writer, an Irish literary writer, but it is gripping. It's probably one of my very favorite. And... Um, I just read, oh, I just read Silverview by uh, Le Carre, and I just read, I'm looking at my shelf. Sure. City of the Dead by Jonathan Kellerman. I'm a big Kellerman fan. I just like to just curl up and get back into that one. 
Um, <laughs> and I'm always going to be reading the latest Lee Child. And um, yeah, that's what I'm seeing on my shelf right now. And then, of course, I'm reading biocentrism and uh, quantum mechanics, neither of which I understand. But this is where, and this is where, uh, you know, I got a lot of information for my enlightenment project because this is where the really hard driven science people are getting in trouble because they're like, wait, wait a minute. So the truth is that energy can never be destroyed, which means that even when our bodies die, our energy is there. So there's no death. And so there's an afterlife. And it's just driving them nuts because it, it shakes up their worldview. And it's like, you know, um, the moth man came and sat in the office with him and bought him a cup of coffee. And they're like, no, this can't be happening. I can't believe it. So, yeah, I get a lot of um, I get a lot of ideas from science and sociology and things like that. That's great. Well, when you were doing the research for the Enlightenment Project, mm-hmm. what what uh, what um, factor or thing that you discovered about exorcism surprised you the most? Was it how prevalent it still is? It shocked me how prevalent it is and that exorcists are mainstream. I'm just sitting, I'm going, oh my gosh, these guys are on YouTube? You've got to be kidding me, okay? <laughs> I mean, it used to be so secret and was so under the table and, and nobody would even admit there were exorcists out there working. And now it's like, Oh, we need more exorcists. We're going to just hire and get more exorcism boots on the ground here. And we can go onto YouTube. And, um, you know, the dark supernatural forces always love electronics. And so now they're <laughs> texting exorcists. And I have to tell you that I like my research, but I do not want to get a text from a demon that says, you are ours. No, I don't want that. I might make that up, but I don't want to live it. And um, here's one thing that utterly shocked me. I ran across a book by M. Scott Peck, who wrote um, People of the Lie. Mm -hmm. And I found out that he spent the last few years of his career doing exorcisms. I was just shocked. He started working with a patient he didn't believe in, but um, obviously this person needs help. Um, And so uh, he became a complete believer And then he said, you know, at the end of his book, which is called Glimpses of the Devil, um, he said that uh, he hoped that one day it would be a recognized psychiatric condition. And it is. Which led me to talk to therapists and psychiatrists who treat people, you know, who, who feel they're possessed. And they're often part of an exorcism team because now the exorcists are the skeptics. And they're like, yeah, well, we want to make sure that you don't have a physical issue or a mental illness. And so I just wanted to know, well, how do you, how do you figure that out, you know? And uh, what they told me was, well, the uh, symptoms don't really check the right boxes, that uh, other treatments and protocols don't help, uh, and that um, if you talk to like a psychiatrist, they're going to say, well, we're trying to decide if it's an internal or external issue. And if it's an external issue, well, that that leads you to um, demonic <laughs> demonic possession. And if um, and then, and I talked to just a therapist, some therapists, and they said, well, you know, instead of labeling people, uh, we're going to listen to their story, and we're going to help them navigate it one way or the other. Which I thought was a pretty good approach. 
That's interesting. I, I had no idea that it was in the DSM. I found that so shocking, but yeah, it's been there since 2015. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novels? Uh, just go to my website, lynnhightower.com. It's got all the novels. It's got links to buy them anywhere you want. It's got um, like fun facts about Lynn, like how I get stuck in trees because I can't climb back down again. Um, <laughs> and it's got a very fabulous picture of my beautiful German shepherd, Leah. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Lynn Hightower, author of the new novel, The Enlightenment Project. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Lynn, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. That was great. 